appropriate for today. Uh, you couldn't help but be moved by this uh, dedication that we were all privileged to be a part of. Come on, somebody, amen. You couldn't help. Uh, if you knew the journey that some of these parents have been on to come to the front today, to take that step and bring those children, then you would be moved. And you know the challenges that they're going through to raise those children. But I tell you what, they're doing it. Well, let me tell you, they're not alone. And uh, there are some of you here today, you need to be reminded uh, just because we didn't pour oil on your child or pour oil on your family doesn't mean you don't need to take your family and rededicate your family to God. Come on. So this is Genesis 35. It's 15 verses. We'll read it in a consecutive order, and we'll just then elaborate. It says in the first verse, reading from the authorized version, the King James Version, God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar, and called the place El Bethel, El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was Elah Lan Bakhat Hat Shahanahiah. <laughs> That's not bad, is it? Somebody from Wilburn. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaraham. And blessed him. And God said unto him, I can deal with Jacob and Rebekah and Deborah and such like that. But some of the others, uh, it's a little challenging. So you can look real pious if you want to. But I'll tap out and let you stand up here and try to pronounce these names. That's what I thought. And then nobody coming up. is it? Yeah. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place whereof he, whereof he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. So I want to speak to you today from a familiar passage. It's familiar in my mind, and the text is very familiar, and the title even is Take Your Family Back to Bethel. I'm going to go ahead and just call it Bethel, just to make it uh, familiar to us, Bethel. Take your family back to Bethel. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I'm humbled to have been a part of this service. God, I don't even know what to say, to stand here amongst a group of men and women and to see the love and the admiration that they have in their eyes for their children, and then to ask me to participate in dedicating their children to the Lord, I feel awed and humbled. And now I see a whole other host behind them. They've come out today, Father, not knowing that God had ordered their steps. 
not knowing that it was the Lord that directed them to come to this house today because God has a word prophetically to speak to their heart and their lives. I pray today that somehow, some way, we can, Father, stop from the busyness of our schedule and we can allow this to truly become a Selah sacred moment. Now, God, in me, Father God, that is in my flesh, there's no good thing. But God, if there's anything good, there's oil in my life, and that oil comes from you. And I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would have, Father, a, a readily uh, available anointing for the people today. Let preaching, as we pray often, come easy in this house, and let the hearts of the people be prepared to receive it. It's in Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen, and you can be seated. And I appreciate you standing for... Today, I want to just go right into this particular message, and today is a message which we're just going to build around the life of Jacob, and I've, the latter few weeks, I've felt led of the Lord to kind of go back and look at some familiar, what we call stories in the Word of God, not necessarily doctrine, and to preach through those stories, to bring forth doctrine, life principles from the stories in Scripture, because for whatever reason, we have a tendency to remember these, and they mark us in a very positive way. And I want to just kind of, some of the things I'm going to be reading to you, and I'm going to just allow the Holy Spirit to just quicken these in my heart. Let's talk about Jacob for just a moment. Jacob is familiar, if you've been in the Scriptures very much at all, as he is the third generation in the prophetic patriarchal line. He is the grandson of the patriarch of the faith, Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a familiar trilogy to all of us that have studied the Word of God regularly. But if you follow the life of Jacob, the reality is this is that though he was born to a godly family, he had family struggle from the very beginning. There was contentions and strife that was not only within him and within his immediate family, but even surrounding him. And I did want to say this very quickly today, that godly families are not exempt from struggle. Matter of fact, sometimes there is a hesitancy in a godly family to expose their struggle and get aid or help because they don't want to be perceived as if uh, they, they are you know, dysfunctional. Let me say this today. Just because you have a call of God on your life, just because you're following God does not mean that there's not the potential for struggle within the family unit. And you need to recognize that today. At birth even. Within the womb, the scripture tells us that there was two children. Uh, When Isaac's wife, Rebecca, was pregnant, she said, man, something is not right. Something's going on on the inside of me. And God prophetically revealed to her there were two children. And before there were days of ultrasound, that there were two male children inside her, two nations that were being born from her. And there was a contention and a strife. And at the time of the birth, the scripture says that, uh, you know, Esau came out first. But then Jacob came out and caught hold of his heel. And it was called a supplanter. And so, if from the very beginning, there was contention and strife. And as they grew, their own individual personalities helped farther that division and then also, again, creating a greater distinction in their relationship to each one of the parents. If you study the Word of God, you'll note as you read this that the Bible says that Isaac loved Esau because he was a man of the field. And so if we're going to try to translate this, and I like to do this when I read about it, when I think about it. Uh, so as these young boys grew and matured, again, a, an alienation and a, and, and a drawing began to take place. And one of the parents began to give more affection to one of the boys, and one of the parents began to give uh, affection to the other one of the boys. And so Isaac found himself really connected to Esau, and the Bible says that he was a man of the field. And so if we were to put that in our day to time, 
you know, we think about that. He would be a country boy. If we just be honest with it, I mean, he would drive a four-wheel drive pickup truck. And uh, <laughs> I could go farther and say, he could probably do his drinking from a Dixie cup. Because <laughs> country music is what he would love. He could skin a buck and he could run a chart line because a country boy can survive. Did you feel that? Did y'all know that was coming out just yet? All right. He could go just a little bit farther. He'd throw baseball in the backyard with his dad, and he would be on the football team. He was just, uh, and, and, and Esau and Isaac were very close as a result of it. And then it created a distinction because Jacob was just a little bit different. Um, see, Esau dressed in camouflage, and Jacob, i got to be careful dressed in skinny jeans. i got to be real careful with that one right there. We could talk later if you want to. That's all right. <laughs> He was listening to the Backstreet Boys in his tent. <laughs> and late at night, if you go inside there, Isaac and Esau would be in there watching Monday Night Football. And Jacob and Rebecca are watching The Bachelorette. <laughs> Come on now, y'all with me on this right here. <laughs> that's what the Word of God says. At least that's the way I read it. Because it says Jacob was a man of the plain. He was a simple man, and he was raised in his tent. He was a mother's boy or a mama's boy, and Esau was his daddy's boy. But in doing so, it created, I'll tell you what, you got to be careful, parents. I could just, you got to be careful. Uh, your children are going to have diverse personalities, but you've got to value them for who they are individually and sow into them equally. But the scripture then tells us as these children begin to grow that, and begin into in young adulthood, Jacob succeeded twice in fulfilling the mandate of his namesake. Jacob meant supplanter or deceiver. And twice he deceived Esau for something that meant a lot to that culture. One was his birthright and the other was his blessing. First, the birthright when Esau had been out turkey hunting in the hills around about where they were, had their tent pitched. Um, I'm so far ahead of y'all, it's just amazing. <laughs> And, uh, and so he came in, and he's famished, and Jacob's in the tent, and he's got on drivers, what is it, uh, dive-ins or dives or something like that, you know, and he's watching the newest recipe, and he's got a bowl and a pot of lentil soup, and Esau, he didn't get a turkey this year, and he's famished, and he is, uh, he's just like, I would like a bowl of soup, and Jacob said, you know what, I'll give you a bowl of soup, but you're going to have to give me your birthright, and at that moment, the Bible says that Esau despised his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. And something that he he sought for later, but was unable to resecure. And then another time in their lives, and probably the most infamous of all, is when it came time to pronounce a prophetic blessing over the children. See, what you and I have learned is the prophetic blessing can be spoken all of our children. God with an equality because of the anointing of God and what Christ has accomplished on the cross. But in those days, it would belong primarily to the firstborn. And so Rebekah had heard that Esau had gone out in the field to get game because Isaac, before he died, which he wouldn't die for many years later, but he thought that he was going to, was going to die soon. And he wanted to speak a prophetic word over his son. So he was wanting to fix him venison one last time, and then he would pray and bless him. And you know, many of you know the story. Some of you may not, but Rebekah heard about it while he was gone on the, on the deer hunt, he, she went out and she uh, had Jacob take a lamb from the flock and they, and they went ahead and dressed it and cooked it and, and then they put the skin on Jacob's neck because when he went in to get the blessing, he said, Dad's going to feel me and he said, and I'm soft because I've been in a tent and Esau's a redneck or a roughneck, like an oil neck guy. Are y'all with me? What they call them? Roughnecks right there out on the oil 
you know, so he said, I, I can't do that. And so they took the skin, put it on his neck, and, and so he can't see that well. And he brings the food, and Isaac then, you know, pulls him near because he hears his voice. And he said, now, you sound like Jacob. But he, he felt of him, felt of his neck, felt of his hands. They'd put skin on his hands. And he said, well, you sound like Jacob, but you've got the feel of Esau. And he spoke the prophetic blessing of God upon Jacob. And no sooner had the, tur- the, the, kin- the, the tent curtain closed behind him, Jacob com- or Esau comes in, and he's got the venison prepared. And he says, I want the blessing. And he said, wait a minute, who are you? And he discovers that he's already blessed um, Jacob, and I'm telling you, that just, that just created even greater tension until the degree that they realized Esau burned with hatred and anger over that moment, and he despised Jacob so much in his heart, he said these words. He said, I'm going to wait for a day in which my dad dies, and when my dad dies and the morning is past, I'm going to kill my brother. And that word slipped out, and Rebecca heard about it, and she said, you know what, I can't let this happen. And she talked to Isaac privately, and she said, you know what, we need to send uh, our son Jacob away because we don't want him to be like um, Esau. Esau had taken a wife of the Canaanites and she said we don't want Jacob to take a wife of the Canaanites let's send him back to Haran where my family is from and Laban my brother and in, in our own nationality we, he can take a, a, a wife of them and so Isaac agreed and so they sent Jacob away and so he makes this journey and the Bible says he doesn't carry anything in his hand but a staff and perhaps just a little blanket to cover himself from the night's cold and he's going to make a long journey to go to the land where, where he's being led by God not knowing he's being led by God there. And so at the first, at the end of the first day, and he's walked, how many uh, miles can you walk in a day? You can walk as many as 30 or 40 miles. That he's made this journey, and he's tired, and he's fatigued, and he, and he stops in a valley somewhere there, and he pulls up a little a heap of stones, and he pillows his head on the stone, and he goes to sleep. And while he's asleep, the God of his father Abraham and the God of Isaac comes to Jacob in a dream, and he speaks to Jacob in a dream. And Jacob sees an, a ladder, and they tell us in the Hebrew that it could be interpreted a stairwell, not just a ladder. So you don't just picture it like a fireman's ladder, but you're literally a stairwell. And the the God of Abraham is standing at the top of it, and Jacob is standing below it at the bottom. And ascending and descending on the ladder are the angels of God. And God speaks to Jacob, and God promises that he'll bring the very covenant that he had promised to Abraham and to Isaac to Jacob. And it's a powerful moment. And even more than that, it's a picture of Jesus. Just to be honest, and I could deter with this today, but it's a powerful image because if you look at it closely, you'll see desperate man at the bottom, and you'll see a holy God at the top, and a ladder that's stretched between the two, and the angels of God ascending and descending. And you can jump forward into the New Testament in John chapter 1, verse number 51. Jesus said these words. Jesus said, Henceforth you shall see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And so really it was a picture image of a desperate man needing to get to God, but there was no way until Jesus Christ formed and bridged the gap between the holiness of God and the desperate plight and condition of man. Man, I could just move, uh, I could just drop and preach right there. But Jacob wakes up out of that moment, and you would too. You would wake up and you would fear like Jacob did. Jacob literally shook and trembled when he woke up because he said these words. He said, surely the presence of God 
He said, how holy, how awesome, how dreadful in the King James. How awesome is this place? And I didn't even know it. He said, this is more than just a pile of rocks. This is more than just a desolate place. He said, this is the house of God. This is Bethel. And he took the stone that he had pillowed his head on, and he took anointing oil, and he poured over it, and he consecrated it to God. And he made a vow in his heart. And he said, God, if you'll bring me back, if you, I'm going where I don't know I'm going. And he said, but if you'll bring me back to this place one day, I'll serve you and I'll give you a tithe of all that I possess. And then you read the story that he been, made his way to the land of, where, of Haran where he met Laban. And if you take the time to read this, it's from like Genesis 28 through where we read in Genesis 35 that the hand of God was with Jacob. Jacob arrives there and after a period of time he falls in love with the daughter of Laban, her name was Rachel, and she was the younger of his two daughters. And he agreed to work for seven years for the right to marry her. And if you know anything about the Word of God, in a mysterious moment, uh, Laban gives him the older daughter to marry first. And I know that was a surprise on the day following the wedding. Don't even go there. That don't, that, that's not going to make the bachelorette. That's not going to make the... I don't even know what you call that, Julie. I just, we just have to let that go. There's a lot of stuff in your Bible if you'll just read about it. There's a lot of things going on, and he wakes up, and it's, uh, it's Leah, not Rachel, and he has to agree for another seven years of labor. And he ultimately marries. He's actually there 20 years. I just want you to, let me just recount this real quickly. He's there for 20 years. He's married two women, which I know that's hard for us to contemplate, but that was true to the culture of that time. He married two women and also fathered children through their two handmaids. And so he has a large family of children, 12 boys plus daughters, plus men servants and maid servants. And over a period of time, the blessing of God that God promised that would be upon him when he pillowed his head at Bethel has slowly and systematically taken the wealth of Laban and transferred it to Jacob until after 20 years, Jacob's flock is larger than Laban's flock. He's got more men servants, maid servants, cattle and camels and riches and wealth, and it became contentious, and he determined that he needed to leave. And after an emotional farewell, he and his family make their journey. They're going to go back to the land of Canaan. But when they get ready to go back to the land of Canaan, Jacob knows in his heart he's got to face something. And if I was to go back into my notes today, uh, it was this right. He had to face his past. Let me tell you right here, I've seen a lot of people in my life in the church that, that, in ministry that they want to be blessed, but they don't want to face their past. Let me tell you, until you come face to face with your past, you'll never be able to have the future that God wants you to have. But let me tell you this, uh, Alfred Edersheim tells us in his commentary about this moment because Jacob uh, gets to a, a, a pivotal moment. It's called the Ford Jabbok. And he sends all of his wives and children across the ford or the creek or the river. And he stays alone at night on one side himself because he's nervous about meeting Esau. The last time he saw Esau, Esau was conspiring to kill him. And he doesn't know if he has the courage to face Esau. 
And so he stays back, and perhaps he's praying, perhaps he's, uh, he's just worried, but the Bible says a mysterious figure appears out of the darkness, and there, a wrestling match ensues, and these two men are lying on the ground for hour after hour, and the Bible says that Jacob discerns this is not a mortal man that he's wrestling with. He discerns this to be an angel of God, and Jacob, the passive man of the plains, begins to rise up in an assertive boldness, and he holds on to this messenger and he says I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me and then the man of God that he's wrestled with uh, reached out his hand and he touched Jacob in his, in his thigh the hollow of his thigh and from that day forward the Bible says that Jacob limped and that limp created a dependency upon God and here's what Alfred Hederson said about that moment before you can face your past you gotta face God you you got to work out things with God because if you'll work out things with God, God will give you a grace. God will give you an ability. God will take you and he'll work in front of you in ways that you can't even see right now. So the greatest wrestling match that you may have in your life may not be with other people and other situations or family members that have been alienated because of a lifestyle lived long ago. But the thing that you got to get done right now is you got to work this thing out with God. Man, I could preach right there, couldn't I? And just stay right there on that. But I've got to take you. I'm going somewhere today on the journey. I'm just skimming over the top. And then when Jacob crosses the brook and gathers his family, he finds that Esau's coming, 400 warriors with him. He thinks that Esau's coming to kill him. But when they come face to face, he realizes something that many of us in this room, when we get our hearts right with God, God goes in front of us. Sometimes the thing you've been fretting the most about Worrying the most about when you learn to just trust God, that you can't. Jacob knew he couldn't defend himself against 400 armed men. He couldn't protect his family. If God didn't do it, he couldn't, it wouldn't be done. And he cast himself upon the mercy of God only to discover that God had worked in Esau's heart. And rather than a fight ensuing, the two men embraced each other, wept on each other's shoulder, and covenanted together that they could live together in the land. Now, this is where the story takes an interesting turn. This is where I've got to begin to take you because I, I, I'm skimming over the top of this message for the sake of time because I'm taking you to a critical moment in the life of Jacob. So Esau says, follow after me. Let's go. We'll get close to where dad's at and, and, and we'll, you know, we'll dwell there with me. And he said, you go ahead. I can't go so fast. The children, the, the, the lambs, the sheep, all that. We, I can't push them as fast as your 400 warriors can go. And so he says he's going to follow Esau, but he doesn't. He slips back to his deceitful ways, and he begins to angle towards Shechem. Now, Shechem was the city of the Canaanites. And listen to this. And this is where an interesting observation must be made. When he arrives at the city of Shechem, Jacob buys a parcel of land. And this is what the Bible says. He erected an altar there, and he called upon the name of God. But listen, listen to this very carefully. He determined, this is what I saw. Here's what he said. He said, I'm just going to worship God right here. But the house of God was some other place. But he said, I'm just going to do my way rather than God's way. Don't forget that. Tuck that away. So after a period of time, as his family begins to grow, something happens that becomes pivotal in this story. The prince of Shechem has eyes for one of Jacob's daughters by the name of Dinah. 
And the scripture is unclear whether he rapes rapes her or has consensual sex with her. But in doing so, the Bible plainly says he defiles her. And when he, Jacob hears about it, rather than reacting in a, remember, he's a man of the plain, he doesn't defend his daughter. And Jacob's two eldest sons hear about it, and they conspire to go and defend their sister. And so they covenant with the people of Shechem in promising that they'll give their sisters as spouses to their sons, the people of Shechem, if the men will... uh, I don't even know what is. You know what I'm talking about? Circumcised themselves as adults. And when they did, the Bible says their third day comes and they're sore. And they come in with swords in their hand. And they slaughter all the men of the city. And when Jacob hears about it, he's distraught. Because he says, when the rest of these people around us hear what you two have done... They're going to come, and they're going to destroy us. And so Jacob's family is in a mess. Now, I want you to pick up this picture because this is when we're going to begin to really focus it in closing this out for just a few moments. I want to pick up this picture. Jacob has learned dependency upon God. He's walking with a limp. But his family has learned independency. And I want to say this to some parents under the sound of my voice. It's a lot harder to raise your children as they age. It's a lot harder to lead your children in the way they should go as they age. And it's easier for the culture to influence your children as they age. And the people of Shechem wanted their kids. And I want to say this to some of you under the sound of my voice. Some of you came in this day because you were invited by somebody to be here as a part of a, of a baby dedication. Let me tell you, you're not doing and being all that God's called you to do and to be. You're like Jacob. You're living away from the house of God. You're saying you're worshiping God, but you're not invested in the life stream of a local body. You don't have anybody you call pastor. You don't have a church family that can stand with you, as Jay said, and help you raise your children in fear and give you the support that you need before God. You're like Jacob. And you can, if you were being honest with me today, that you would say, Pastor Brown, there's contention in my home, and there's a mess in my home, and things just aren't right. And right in the middle of all of that, that's what I love about Genesis chapter number 35, is when God... God reappears to Jacob and he speaks a prophetic word to Jacob and he says these words and do not forget them. He said, Jacob, I want you to rise up and I want you to go back to Bethel. What does that mean? Rise and go back to the house of God. Go back to the place of your first love. Go back to the place of where I first met you along the road 20 years ago. You've been worshiping God at home. You built your own altar while there's a mess in your house. I've called you to worship me at a house. I've called you to worship me at a place. Bethel means the house of God. Get up, change your life, change your lifestyle, and get back to Bethel. And I can't tell you the times I've read that in my own private devotion and I've been moved every time because we need a wave of conviction in our community of men and women that 20 years ago experienced God they had an encounter with God but they're not active in a local fellowship and there's confusion in their home and they need to hear the voice of God echo in their spirits rise up and go back to Bethel go back to the place where you first met me go back to the place where I promised that I would bless you 
Go back to the place of your first love. Go back to Bethel. And let me say this. Bethel was 1,000 feet in elevation higher than Shechem. And the scripture says you were to go up to Bethel. Some of you are living below God's expected place in your life. And it's going to take a, a strong, assertive faith. And in that text that we read, remember, Jacob, uh, Jacob is a passive man. He's been a deceitful man. But all of a sudden, he's got a prophetic word in his heart. And God's anointed him as the patriarch of his family. And he calls his family all together and all that are dwelling in his house. And I love the assertive faith that he displays from that day forward. And he says to them, we're going back. We're going back to Bethel. We're going to to the place where God first called me and I need you to do some things along the way. He said, I need you to give me all your idols. Man, I feel that. I know I'm preaching better than y'all shouting, but I'm telling you, a parent, listen to me. I didn't come to preach to parents, but I might as well preach to parents. You're the parent in that house. God placed an anointing on your life to know what's right, what's good, what's holy, what's right for your children. Don't you allow the teenager in your life to dictate what's acceptable or unacceptable in your home when God's called you to be the leader of your own home. And you got to know and say, you know what? You can't, we can't go back to Bethel with this junk in our lives. You got to know what needs to be. And the Bible says that they gave him, they, did, they didn't even debate it. And they just started taking off earrings and giving idols, and he buried it under an oak tree, buried it under the cross of Calvary. And I know I remember in my own life, Joe. Now I know it probably changed some as they aged, but I had a moment when my boys years ago, I'd made the mistake and I had bought a Nintendo. And then they upgraded it to an Xbox. And then it was on, Dr. Brassfield. And I can remember I came home one day, and they're squabbling, and they're fighting. And I walked right into the middle of that living room, and I unplugged, and I unplugged, and I unplugged. And I walked over right in front of them, and I threw it in the trash and sealed it up and never purchased another Nintendo, another Xbox, or another game. And said, you're not going to allow that thing to become contentious in our home. Now, I'm not saying follow my example. Maybe I should have been a little more diplomatic. Maybe I could have been a little softer because I jerked the joystick out of their hand while they were playing with it. I mean, it was almost like if, they had, if we had YouTube in those days, I'm telling you that thing, I would have either been in trouble or I'd have been a YouTube sensation, one or the other. But I'm saying this real quickly. Even though I re probably reacted a little too forceful in the flesh, I was the father I was the one responsible, and I knew that I'd allowed a contentious moment to be created in my house, and I chose the swift course of action to resolve it quickly. And I'm saying all that to say this, that as a believer in God and as a leader in your own house, moms and dads, you've got to make the decision to lead your house and to lead them in a way of righteousness. He said, I want you to change your clothes. Don't even get me started. There are many times I sent some children back in. To, don't even get me started. Don't even go there with me right there because I know there's a prophetic application to that. But Jacob made the journey back from where they were dwelling with Yeshichem, and he went up to Bethel. And there he erected another altar. And there he worshiped God. And today... As Shane and the worship team come back onto the platform with me, you've sat in your comfortable seat, and you've sat back, and you've watched people come to the front, 
and you've watched us pour oil on their children, and you've watched us lay hands on them and pray. And all the while, some of you have thought, man, what about my own house? What about my own family? What about my own life? What about the things that are going on? Let me tell you today, God supernaturally led you to this house so that I could preach this word to you today to challenge you that you need to rise up and you need to get back to Bethel. You need to get back to the place of your first love. You need to make uh, the house of God a place and a people that you interact with.